we have, since the beginning of the year, have been had a series that we've discussed referring regarding knowing God, the quest to know God. And uh, as we've talked about each week, that quest is probably the most important quest that there is, is because knowing God is the key of eternal life. Jesus said in John 17, verse 3, This is life eternal, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. Andrew, while you're there, can you turn off the lights, please? Thank you. Okay, and so we have, as we've come through this then, we've considered God, we've looked at God, and we've talked about this concept of the ocean, and I mentioned it again a little bit last week, um, but the fact that, that knowing God is like, kind of like knowing the ocean. There are a lot of people who, who live back in Omaha, or I'm from Pittsburgh, I can use Pittsburgh's illustration because there's definitely not an ocean around Pittsburgh, right? And, and we've studied the ocean, and we, we learn about the ocean, and we, we can go on the internet and see pictures of the ocean, we can see pictures of people playing in the ocean. But all we know is facts about the ocean. We've never been to the ocean. We've never been a part of the ocean. We've never stepped into the ocean. We've never really had a relationship with the ocean, if you make sense to you. There's never been any intimacy with the ocean. It's all been facts, factual knowledge. And there are a lot of people who are like that with God. They know a lot of facts about God. They can tell you what God has done. They can, they can quote to you much... Um, details about God, but they've never met God. They've never been to God. And so, coming to God is like coming to the ocean. And yet, there are some who come to the ocean, and they do nothing but what? Spend their time on the beach. They like being in proximity to people who know God. They like being in proximity to the water, if you would. But they never step in themselves. And we're going to talk about, at the very end of the message today, I'm going to have a a little quote about an individual who was like that, who knew a lot about God, who actually had been to the, the beach and was around people who, who, who knew God, if you would, but he himself had never known God. Isn't that a sad thing, to have spent so much of your life learning about God and being around people who know God and yet not knowing God yourself? And so it's my aspiration, it's my desire for, for Bob, and if you know when I send out the things, you know, the pressing toward the mark, Philippians 3, 10 to 14, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. Because eternal life is knowing him. It's not just coming to a point where you say a sinner's prayer, which I think there's a lot of people going to hell because of, because they're trusting in a prayer and they're not trusting in the God who they pray to. It's not just saying a prayer, it's not just going to church, it's not just reading the Bible, it's not just praying but it's knowing God. It's having a relationship with Him. This is why Jesus Christ came, that He might adopt you. He might pay the adoption price, and yet you might be a child of God. And what child is there that doesn't want to know his dad, his mom, to spend time with them? We have considered the existence and exclusiveness of God, that God is, that makes sense, it's a no-brainer, but that He is the only God. There is no other God. He is the only God. We have considered the composition of God, that God is one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. But we also know that, that Yahweh being one is also three. That there is a trichotomy, that there is the Father, the Son, and the, the Holy Spirit. We as well have considered the attributes of God. 
the attributes of God with the natural attributes, the vocational attributes, and the moral attributes of God. The, the natural attributes, we considered his sovereignty. Um, we considered his limitlessness. Vocational attributes, we considered the fact that he's the creator, that he's the judge, and he's the savior. As we got into the moral attributes, we have considered his holiness. We have considered his love. We have considered his faithfulness. Right now, we are currently considering his righteousness, the righteousness of God. And last week, as we considered the righteousness of God, we looked at the definition of that of righteousness, what it is, and we saw that righteousness is the adhering to moral or virtuous principles. And then we asked the question, but who is the determiner of those moral principles? And the answer to that is, is God. We live in a day when we like to put out this thing called moral relativism, okay? that there's relative truth, and that there is no absolute truth, there are no absolute morals, and it's really kind of interesting, as I was talking to Devin about, um, even on his, you know, and I mentioned a little bit this morning in Sunday School, for those who weren't here though, that Devin had put out um, a thing from Probe Ministries on, on Twilight, and again, I could step on some toes, and there may be people here who disagree with me on this, and if you are, you're wrong, but that's okay. Um, anyways, um, the, the, the fact is that, you know, God judged the nation of Israel for the fact that they were taking the, the things of the world to themselves. And we as a church are starting to do that as well. But it's sad when we as a church begin to mimic the thought processes of the world and that there is no absolute truth. And to, to read people on... Now, Devin has responded. He's been smart. He's just kind of stayed out of it. He got, he got the thing started, and everybody else is fighting. It's kind of fun. Um, and I thought about making a, a, a comment, and I said, no, nah, no, nah, i just watch everybody else. Um, and the reality, I mean, how many people are, are faced with this moral relativism? Moral, uh, uh, relative morality, relative truth. There is no absolute. And how many people have said, well, they may be right for you, but it's not for me. And the one lady is called narrow-minded because she, she's basing everything upon the Word of God, and so she's narrow-minded. Isn't that incredible? I mean, think about it. Because you believe, as a believer, this kind of doesn't make sense, does it? Anyways, as a believer, you believe that the Word of God is true. You're considered in Christendom, wide Christendom, okay? And I understand sometimes we are very, you know, uh, tunnel-visioned. But in the greater body of Christendom, you're considered to be very narrow-minded. That's a sad thing, isn't it? So, true righteousness, though, is that which is right according to God's standards. Why? Because God is God, and he has every right to determine what is right. Does that make sense? Okay? And so if God says it's right, it's right. I don't care what you call is right. If God says it's wrong, it's wrong. Okay? Justice, then, is the administration of law, or it is righteous judgment. And so we talk about true justice, then, is that which is enacted according to the righteous principles of God's law. Now, the sad thing is, in our land, what is one of the main things that we're trying to get rid of from all the courthouses? God's law. The Word of God. The Ten Commandments is a symbol of us as a country being based upon the Word of God, the laws of God, the principles of God, the moral righteousness of God, and we want to get rid of all that. And so we read this morning from Psalm 33 where it says, Blessed is the nation whose what? God is the Lord, but I submit to you and ask you, are we really that? Years ago, maybe so. But I would submit to you, even though I love this land, and I know it's July 4th, and this is supposed to be a patriotic message, this is a realistic message that we need to check ourselves, and we are not that nation. We saw um, the display of God's righteousness in judgment and in salvation, that God is righteous in his judgment, that God is righteous also in the process of 
salvation. That, that the fact is that because of his judgment, that we deserve to be what? Judged because our righteousness is like a filthy rag to God. And so that if you've obeyed the whole law and yet you've offended at one point, you're what? Guilty of it all. So therefore you are unrighteous. And so because of God's righteous judgment, you are condemned. But God is faithful in that he desires to have the relationship with you. And so Jesus Christ came and died so that he who knew no sin, first, or 2 Corinthians 5.21, he who knew no sin could become sin that you might take on the what? Righteousness of God. And so now God doesn't look at you positionally through your own righteousness if you accepted what Christ has done for you on the cross. But now he looks at you through the righteousness of Christ. And who is Jesus Christ? God himself. And so Jesus, while he was on the earth, when he was incarnate, was tempted in every way such as we are, yet he was without sin, which means that he was perfectly righteous. Do you get it? And so, on that cross, he became my sin. And my sin was destroyed. It was nailed. So that I could become, I could take on, I could have imputed to me, credited to my account, his righteousness. Now that's important from where we're going from here. Because today we, want, we don't want to just look at the consideration of God's righteousness, but we want to look at the application of God's righteousness and how, how that applies to me. How when I consider God's righteousness, how does it apply to my life? And the first thing, the very first and foremost thing, is it ought to give me, a, provoke me with a desire to worship God. Why? First of all, because of his righteousness and because of what his righteousness has done for me. I mean, it, what we just talked about, the fact that because he is righteous, he has brought a righteous sacrifice so that you could be righteous. Do you get it? That by itself ought to be enough to cause you to, to glorify him. But we're told in Psalm 33, what we read this morning in our Bible reading, Rejoice in Yahweh, O you righteous, for praise from the upright is beautiful, Praise Yahweh with a heart. Make melody to him with an instrument of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully with a shout of joy. For the word of Yahweh is what? It's right. It's righteous. All his work is done in truth. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the goodness of Yahweh. It's amazing to me. Now understand, I believe that the greatest commandment is to what? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength. And I believe that the second is like unto it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The problem is that many people in Christendom have swapped those two things around. And they've made the greatest commandment to love your neighbor as yourself. And that is very important. But it is more important to what? Love God. And if I really love God in a righteous way, then I will love my neighbor in a righteous way. But when I flip those two things together, it's called the social gospel. And now I'm out there feeding people, which isn't wrong, right? I should be ministering to the poor. We'll talk about this in a moment. I should be ministering to the needy. But I've forgotten the righteous standards of who? Of God. It doesn't matter what God desires. It doesn't matter that God desires righteousness and justice, and that's those things that he delights in. But now it's all about ministering to the people of the world. And so now when it comes to to those who are walking in filth and walking in, in, in sin, I'm not worrying about cleaning them up. I'm not worrying about leading them to truth. I'm only worrying about what? Feeding them. Now, it's important. Now, hear what I'm saying. I am to reach out to the sinners. That's why God has left me in the world. 
He's left me here as a light in the darkness. It's not to cloister myself away from, from, the, from the sins of the world and from sinners of the world and say, I don't want to touch you, I don't have anything to do with you. No, rather, I'm supposed to rub shoulders with them. Those are the ones that I'm supposed to be leading into the kingdom of God. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, if any be a brother and is walking in these things, that's the one that you separate from. It's funny how we like to we hang out with brothers who, who walk in those things, but we want to separate from the world. But rather, we're supposed to separate from believers who are walking in disobedience to God's word, but we're supposed to be rubbing shoulders with the ones who are in the world. Paul says, because if you weren't here for that purpose, then there would be no reason for you in the world. But the reason we're in the world is to reflect God's what? Righteousness and justice. Do you get it? Righteousness and truth are the foundations of his throne. That's what we saw last week. And so it ought to be that which we praise him for as well. I will praise Yahweh according to, the, to his righteousness. And I will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. Because of his righteousness, I will give praise and glory to God. I think many people don't praise him for this. And we talked about this at home. It's amazing to me. I, I, go through the hymnal and find me enough songs for us to sing on the righteousness of God. Can't. It's a, I, I, was, I was dumbfounded. You know, I mean, I like to go through and try to find choruses and hymns that, 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 that refer to whatever attribute we're singing about, that we're going to be talking about. So we sing about the attribute that we're going to be talking about. So we worship God for that attribute. Couldn't find them. And I started to ponder it. Is it because we really are afraid? Of the righteousness of God? I mean, the righteousness of God causes me to, be, to stumble a little bit here. Because when I consider his righteousness, I realize what? I'm not. It's okay to consider God's holiness, holy, 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 because I know that I'm not, and that's why, you know, but I don't want to consider the fact that I might still be, as a believer, what? Wrong and not righteous. Yeah, very unrighteous. And so, amazing thing. But we're supposed to be praising God for his, his righteousness. At midnight, David says, at midnight, I will rise to give thanks to you because of your righteous judgments. Now, when did Paul, when did Paul, sorry, when did David say that? This is Psalm 119. When did David write Psalm 119? Now, some of you ought to know this because we talked about it. Um, when we talked about God's faithfulness, we, we looked at some verses from Psalm 119 as well. When David said that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. When was David afflicted? After he sinned with Bathsheba. After he committed adultery, after he committed murder. And God punished him. God disciplined him. God spanked him. Not as hard as he could have and should have. Because according to the law, David deserved what? Death, stoning. That's exactly right. And so David says, At midnight I will rise to give thanks to you because of your righteous judgments. Last week we looked at the fact that David said, even in the midst of all that, that I'm pleading for your mercy, but I understand the fact that when you, when you make your determination, what you determine will be just. It will be righteous. And now David says on the heels of all that, after he's lost his son, and his other sons are, are committing turmoil, so I'm going to give you praise. I'm going to give you glory because of your righteous judgments. I don't understand it. But I give you, you know, I, I would like it to be otherwise. I'd like the fact that I could have swept it all under the carpet and pretend that it didn't happen. But the fact is, I praise you, God, for your righteousness and for your righteous judgments. 
Turn with me to Romans chapter 1. Again, I understand it's July 4th. There's part of me that wanted to take a, a little sabbatical here and, and do a nice patriotic message. But this is, this is patriotic, y'all. This really is. This is truth. And as a nation, we need to understand. I mean, because it sounds like, no, you just continue to do series. But it's amazing to me how this part of the series fell on this day and I didn't plan it. Okay? Um, and you're going to see this in a moment. But in Romans chapter 1, let's start reading at verse 16. A verse that many of you know. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For the Greek. Why? For in it the what? The righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now, you ask, before we go on, okay, before we go on, in our culture today, okay, there's a little bit of backlash going on now, which is a good thing, but the presentation of the gospel, the presentation of the gospel, what do we present people? What, what, are, what, are, what, what is the church gone to for presenting the gospel? What does the gospel generically contain now? Judgment? No, not judgment. God is love. God's love. You, you're a sinner. I mean, just, just a little tad sinner. I mean, you know, you're not evil, but you know, you're just not good enough to get to heaven. It, but God is love. And God what? He loves you, and he wants you in heaven. So just repeat after me. I state your name to solemnly swear that I trust in Jesus as my Savior, and, and I'm, I'm looking forward to my fire insurance policy. Thank you very much. Check. That's exactly right. And you put the little mark on your belt, right? You know, the more holes you got in your belt, the more you can tighten it in. Anyways, but you know, the more you escape. But we don't. The gospel is what? For in it, we see what? The righteousness of God revealed. Wow. Now, let's go on now in this idea that the righteousness of God being revealed from heaven. For since, verse 20, I'm sorry, verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and what? Unrighteousness of who? Of men. So, in the gospel, we have the righteousness of God, but in the world, we see the unrighteousness of men who do what? Suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Isn't that interesting? What truth do you think they're, un- they're suppressing? The knowledge of God. The truth of God, which it happens to include what? The good news of God, which happens to include that they themselves are what? Unrighteous. Okay? And so they want to suppress the fact that they're unrighteous because they don't want to feel unrighteous. And so therefore they want to get rid of God so they don't have to change their ways. And I know that because God declared it here. Because we go on verse 19, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. So they are without excuse. Because although they knew not God, because they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their heart to dishonor the bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to the vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving themselves 
the penalty of their error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do the things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who, knowing the what? Righteousness of God, that those who practice such things are not deserving or those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who what? Practice them. It says that there's these people who are suppressing the what? They're suppressing the truth. And how are they suppressing it? In unrighteousness. And why are they suppressing it? They don't want to face the righteousness of God. And then we're told all this whole listing, but at the very end of the listing, we're told what? That they know the righteousness of God. That in them, they have this knowledge of God. It's in them from the very beginning. They have no excuse. That every person on the face of the earth has this light that's in them. We are made in the image and likeness of God. We are made as a body, a soul, and a spirit. Now, that's not the Holy Spirit. Some people misunderstand the trichotomy, and they think that's the Holy Spirit. That's not the Holy Spirit. You have a spirit, because you're made in the image and likeness of God. God is a spirit, and you have a spirit. But without Jesus Christ there, without a relationship with God, that spiritual realm is what? It's void. It's empty. It's looking for something to fill it. And in it, though, in it, there is the kernel of knowledge of who God is. And in that kernel of knowledge of who God is, is the knowledge of his righteous standards. That's why a nation who knows not God can still come up with godly laws. Think about it. Is murder legal any place? True murder. No. Not even in ungodly nations. Now, they may, they may condone some kinds of what we would call murder, but they have their, still their own defined standards of what murder is. Well, why do they do that? Because God declared, thou shalt not murder. God's the one in his righteous standards who determined that murder was, was evil. But when it comes to our own lusts, it comes to the things that we want to do, we don't want God there. Does that make sense? We, we want God away. And so with the pornography industry and everything else that's going on with, with um, rampant divorce rates and stuff like that, it all goes together with our own lust. We're drawn away of our own lusts, and we don't want God's righteous standards. And so, from the negative sense here, our desire to, we say, how does that desire to worship him? This is from a negative sense here. What does God desire us to do in, in glorifying him? To glorify him how? And as such, as what? A righteous God. But men, in their unrighteousness, recognize that. And so instead of desiring to glorify God for his righteousness, they turned away from it to worship themselves, to worship the things that God had created. Do you get it? And they were not thankful for the righteousness of God. Now, again, like we talked about Sunday school, it's not a matter of picking on Israel, it's not a matter of picking on the world, it's not a matter of picking on unbelievers and making ourselves feel good. 
Okay, so read it. What about you? What about me? Because chapter 2, he goes on, and I'm not going to read chapter 2, but you can read chapter 2. Chapter 2, he's, he's nailing those now, like you and me, who want to judge these people from chapter 1, and yet we're doing the same thing. He says, you want to judge them, but you're going to do the same thing. It's easy to look at them and say, oh, I can't believe that the world is living like that. But how many of you men, even ladies potentially, harbor pornographic pictures in your mind? How many of you struggle with the lust of the flesh? Jesus said, if you've lusted after a woman in your, in your mind, in your heart, You've committed adultery with her. How many of you could say that you may not be a murderer, but you, you inwardly call people names and, you, and you'd like to see them destroyed? Jesus said you're a murderer. Don't sit there and bash the world. They, they, God will judge them. God, God's wrath will be there. But what about you and I? Cleansing begins in the house of the Lord. And I know from 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and 1 Corinthians chapter 6, as well as other passages in the New Testament, that when I am saved, the Holy Spirit comes to live within me and I am called the temple of God. I'm called the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so I am the house of God. Though we collectively come together like that, I know individually. And so therefore, that the cleansing has to begin where? Right here in me. And right there in you. For you. So, the righteousness of God should provoke us in a desire to worship Him. It should provoke us then in a desire to reflect Him. To... to to, to imitate him to the world. What is the, the greatest picture of adoration? Imitation. Imitation. If, if you really look up to somebody and adore them, you want to become like them. Yes? I mean, we laugh about, I laugh about Michael Jackson sometimes, because Michael Jackson spent a lot of money to go through a lot of reconstructive surgeries so he could look like who? Diana Ross, a guy wants to look like a gal. Anyways, but, but anyways, he wanted to look like Diana Ross. Do you know why? He worshipped her. He adored her. And he spent thousands of dollars to have plastic surgery done to him so that he would look like her. Isn't this sad? Okay, and we kind of chuckle about that. But again, like I said about Sunday school as well, that God has saved us that for the express purpose that we would be conformed to the image of Christ, his Son, who is the incarnation of God. God desires us to reflect him to the world. What cost are you willing to go through so that you can imitate God? That you can look like him. Wouldn't it be nice if you could go to a doctor here on the earth and do reconstructive surgery and plastic surgery and... and and all of a sudden you come out and you look like Jesus? It doesn't happen that way, does it? It's all inward. And you have to desire to do it. Our desire to reflect him. 1 John 3, 7-12 says, Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. In this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Nor is he who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers were righteous. 
Now, I understand that that in the Greek is written in the present tense, which is a continuing, the, 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 the tense of continuance. And what he's saying there is that if you are in Christ, that you will not abide in sin. You will not abide in unrighteousness. That if I look at the, the landscape of your life, it will be a landscape of righteousness, though there may be some what? Some pitfalls, right? There may be some, some places that need you know, to bring the dirt in and to, to fill it in and to tamp it down and to, to, to make it right. But as I look at the landscape of your life, I see a landscape that is increasingly being conformed to the image of Christ. You have a desire to have a pretty yard, if you would. Does that make sense? If that doesn't speak of your life, if there is no hunger within you and thirst for righteousness, if there is no desire to seek after the kingdom of God and his righteousness, what God says, not what Bob says, what God says is that you're not his. You're not his. And you can play the game and you can deceive others. But he says, little children, let no one what? Deceive you. Because James and James 1 says, be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own self. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who he beholds his face in the glass or in the mirror. He beholds himself and goes his way and straightway he forgets what manner of man he was. But whoso continues in the perfect law of liberty, he looks in the perfect law of liberty and he continues therein, not being a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the word, this man shall be blessed in his deed, in his work. If you're being deceived, you're deceiving yourself. Are you his or aren't you his? Now, my job is not to make you doubt your salvation, but to proclaim truth. But if you're wallowing in sin and it doesn't bother you, you really need to check yourself out. We need to reflect him in our judgment. In our judgment. Just as God reflected, just as God's righteousness was revealed in his judgment, it ought to be reflected in our judgment as well. Turn with me back to the book of Leviticus, chapter 19. Leviticus 19, 35 and 36. In the list of what God is telling them how he wants them to do, and just because of my comments earlier, uh, jump up to verse 31. I just want you to see this one. It says, Give no regard to what? Mediums and familiar spirits. Do not seek after them to to be defiled by them. Why? I am the Lord your God. All right, anyways, that goes back to those other comments we were making. But drop down to verse 35. You shall do no injustice in judgment. In measurement of length, weight, or volume, you shall have honest skills, honest weights, an honest ephah, and an honest hen. Why? I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. I brought you out of your sin. I brought you out of your slavery to sin, to righteousness. And Romans 6 says, Do you not know that to whom you offer yourselves as a slave to obey, you are the one slave to whom you obey, whether of sin leading unto death or of obedience leading unto righteousness? You make the decision of what you're going to serve. You're going to serve your lust and your sin, or are you going to serve righteousness in God? And so God says, listen, in righteousness, because of who I am, in my righteousness, you should reflect my righteousness by having an honest measure. This guy doesn't get charged this, and this guy gets charged that. 
It isn't the, you know, that I've got, when, when somebody comes through and I, I have this cup, you know, this measuring cup, that really isn't a measuring cup. It's really a measuring seven-eighth cup. Make sense? Because for every, um, how many, let's see, I'm going to mess this up. For every seven, seven-eighths cups you get, you what? You get to sell another one, okay? So you increase your profit. You know, I was talking to somebody else about this, about with the, the gas pumps and stuff like that. Do you know why they go around and they, they check the gas pumps? Say again? Right, to make sure that they're actually clicking on, on those, you know, now that, you know, you got those digitals, and they're, and they're running not just at tenths anymore, you know, we're running at hundreds and stuff like that, because they're getting every penny they can out of you, right? And so, to make sure that those things are calibrated, that they're accurate. You know what calibration is? It's a nice word for righteousness. <laughs> to make sure that the store owner is, is, is acting righteously toward his, his uh, customers. Isn't that a sad thing that we've got to do that? Deuteronomy 16, 18 and 20, we don't need to go there now. You can check it out later. It has to do with the same thing, God's commandment of that. Go to Micah 3, 9 to 12. You say, okay, where's Micah at? Okay, it's easier probably to find Micah going backwards from Matthew. Okay? Okay, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. And so... If you go back from Matthew, you have Malachi, then Zechariah, then Haggai, then Zephaniah, then Habakkuk, then Nahum, then Micah. Okay? And we want to go to chapter 3. Chapter 3, verses 9 through 12. It says, And now hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob, and rulers of the house of Israel, who abhor justice and pervert all equity, who build up Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with iniquity, her heads judge for a bribe, her priests teach for pay, and her prophets divine for money. Yet they lean on the Lord, on Yahweh, and say, Is not Yahweh among us? No harm can come among us. Therefore, because of you, because of who? Who's the you? Who? Come on, speak up. No, no, not because of God. Good job, though, Anna. It's pretty good that a, that a three-year-old's speaking up. Come on, y'all. You're older than three. Who? The leaders, that's exactly right, because of the leaders, because of the judges, the priests, the prophets, okay? He says, because of you, Zion shall be plowed like a field, Jerusalem shall become heaps of ruins, and the mountains of temples like the bare hills, bare hills of the forests. As a nation, as a nation, God expects us to walk in what? Righteousness and justice. And again, as I shared earlier, um, as we look at this new Supreme Court justice, who probably will be confirmed and placed on the court, the positions and the stands that she takes are antithetical to the Word of God. We can look at other lands and we can understand that God judges the land upon their leaders. But we of all put your feet down. We of all people stand to be condemned more than any other nation because we are Caesar. We vote our servant leader into power. You are a man or a woman of unclean lips and hands, and you live amongst a people of unclean lips and hands. And we have chosen the leadership of this land. 
We cannot. <laughs> we have chosen it. As we live in this land, and the standards that we take in our own lives, in how we interact with other people, also has an effect upon how the leadership of this land is chosen. But God is going to condemn a land of people who have no justice and righteousness. Who call what is good evil, and what is evil they call good. Just this week, this past week, the Supreme Court um, decided a case five, five to four um, regarding a Christian group um, that was had a suit against the University of California because they were not given um, recognized status. Um, they weren't an RSG, a recognized student group um, at the college. They were refused that. And the basis of the refusal was that the group bylaws and standards were contradictory to that of the college. The college being in California, and being a public college in California, chooses to take the stands of the state of California um, as its practices. And so therefore they have a, um, I'm going to mess this up now, a non-exclusion policy, which means that you don't exclude anybody from leadership or membership. But because this Christian group had in their, their standards a, a statement of sexuality and what true sexuality was, which meant that it excluded what? homosexuals, and those living out of wedlock, that that excluded a large portion <laughs> of, 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 the, of their school. And, and so therefore, now understand, now in one, in one manner, I understand, exactly, okay, so, no, no, so, but, right, well, but here, 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 right, but in one, now this is the sad part, this is the sad statement here. In one realm, I can understand and agree with the decision of the court. Do you know why that's sad? Because their decision, in a sense, is righteous, quote-unquote, based upon other unrighteous decisions that they've made. Do you get it? So, for the sake of consistency, because they've already laid an unrighteous foundation... They now have to consistently, or in their mind, be righteous according to their unrighteousness. Do you get it? This is a sad statement. And I, I want to read this. This is, this is from the, 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 the syllabus of that finding. I was on the, the Supreme Court's website this week uh, reading a bunch of their cases and such. And I thought this one statement was just so applicable for the church. Not just our, not our church, it's the other churches, you know, the, other, the ones that struggle with these things, not ours. Um, um, application of the less restrictive, limited public forum analysis better accounts for the fact that Hastings, that's the, the college, it's Hastings College, University of California, Hastings College, through its RSO, I'm sorry, I said RSG, RSO, Recognized Student Organization, program, is dangling, now listen to this, is dangling the carrot of subsidy not wielding the stick of prohibition. You say, what did all that mean? They are not excluding this Christian group from being an RSO. 
all the Christian group has to do is change its standards to accept their standards and we'll give you all the funding that you want. And the sad thing is, throughout Christendom today, they're going after the carrot of subsidy. Isn't that right, Devin? I mean, with faith-based organizations, what does the government do? government says, if you stop preaching Jesus, we'll give you more money. You know, that was George Bush, too, now. You know, everybody's George Bush. Now, I'm not, I'm not bashing any president here, okay? But even under the one that we thought was the Christian, you know, president and the godly president, faith-based organizations, while he was president, that was the standard. We'll give you funding, but you can't talk about Jesus. Yeah, most people don't realize that. They go, hmm, really? We thought that was an Obama thing. It's not an Obama thing. He just carried that on. 1 Kings 10, 9, you, you can again check me out later on this, but this is um, the Queen of Sheba proclaiming to Solomon that, that God had done wondrous things for, for Israel because making him king because he's judging them with justice and righteousness. And she even recognized the fact that a land being ruled this way was a wonderful thing. Proverbs 14.34 talks about the, the same thing. I'll read that to you. In Proverbs 14, it says, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. That when, when a nation has a king and has godly leaders that are ruling in righteousness, a nation will be exalted. I mean, think about it. Do you see the United States around the world being exalted right now? No. It is the joke. We are the butt of every joke. Proverbs 16. Turn with me to, to the book of Proverbs here. We're going to be doing a lot of Proverbs here in just a moment. And uh, I don't want to cut this short because I feel this is very important. We read a renewal during the days of Solomon of what God had spoken through Moses in the book of Leviticus. Proverbs 16, verse 11 says, Honest weights and scales are Yahweh's. They're from the Lord. All the weights in the bag are his work. It is an abomination for kings to commit wickedness, for a throne to be established by righteousness. Righteous lips are the delight of kings, and they love him who speaks what is right. Can we apply this litmus test to our land? I mean, they're all worried about litmus tests up there. What about God's litmus test of righteousness? We expect our politicians. That, that's exactly right. We had a game years ago that we bought just before we were saved, and we never played it, but I had to get rid of it. It was called Lie, Cheat, and Steal, the game of politics. It was. I mean, it was the game I bought. It was, I mean, I was looking forward to playing this thing. Then I got saved, man. <laughs> I had to get rid of it. How could, how could I, as a believer, play a game called Lie, Cheat, and Steal? I mean, I struggle at times with Balderdash because... The, the fact that at Balderdash, they, they call it the game of what? Bluffing, or the game of lying. Well, it's not really. I mean, you're writing down what you think the definition of something is. But, but every time I see that, I think, you know, we're telling people we're going to play this game that's encouraging you to lie. And it's like, I don't want to do that as a believer, you know? I want to be righteous. Yeah, it's a sad thing. Proverbs 25, turn to chapter 25. Look at verse 5. Take away the wicked from before the king. In his throne will be established in righteousness. Take away the wicked. But we promote them today. Isn't that a sad thing? Drop down to chapter 28, verse 28. When the wicked arise, 
Men hide themselves, but when they perish, the righteous increase. It's another thing. Chapter 29, verse 2, just two verses later. When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice, but when a wicked man rules, the people groan. Do we know that by application? God desires righteousness in the judgment of a nation. But you know what? God desires righteousness as well in the judgment of individuals. Individuals. Deuteronomy 25. Let me read some of these to you. You can check me out. You have the sermon note sheets. You have all those verses there, okay? Please check me out. Make sure I'm, I'm, I'm being honest with you and righteous. And if I'm not, then bring it before the body because I need to be gone, right? So, Deuteronomy 25, verses 13 to 16. You shall not have in your bag differing weights, a heavy and a light. You shall not have in your house. No, this is not your nation. This is your house. Differing measures, a large and a small. You shall have a perfect and just weight, a perfect and just measure, that your days may be lengthened in the land which Yahweh your God is giving you. For all who do such things, all who behave unrighteously, are an abomination to the Lord your God. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be an abomination before my father, before my Abba. You're in Proverbs still. Turn to chapter 11, verse 1, where again we read, Dishonest scales are an abomination to Yahweh, but a just weight is his delight. Working in unrighteousness is not just an abomination, but on the opposite side, when you work in righteousness and truth and justice, it delights him. Proverbs 20, chapter 20, verses 9 to 11. I keep this in context because I think these verses go together. Who can say, I have made my heart clean. I am pure from my sin. In other words, what? No one can say that, right? Who can say that? Well, look right on the heels of that. Diverse weights and diverse measures, they are both alike an abomination to Yahweh. Even a child is known by his doings or his deeds, whether he does what is pure and right. When God then brings up a place where he says that who can declare his own goodness, his own righteousness, right? What's the illustration that he brings up? different weights and different measures. And so, Matthew chapter 7, Judge not lest ye be judged, and with what judgment you judge others, it shall be measured back unto you, pressed down into the full and overflowing, right? In other words, you want to use a stick of judgment, you want to use a, a, a line of righteousness to somebody else, start applying it to yourself. But we don't want to apply it to ourselves, do we? And so God says, listen, you know, no one can find a pure man here because ultimately we all have what? We have a different measuring stick, don't we? Yeah, we look out there to somebody else and all of a sudden my measuring stick only goes to, to 10 and a half or 11. Or no, actually there goes to 12 or 13, right? Mine goes to 9, 10 or 11 because I don't, you know, oh yeah, look, I measure up pretty good, you know? you know. But for them, they don't. So be careful. God says that's an abomination. To him as well. Micah 6 8, we sang it this morning. He has shown thee, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, but to do what? But to do justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. God says one of those three things that I desire for you to do is to be just in your dealings. To be just in your dealings. Still there in the book of Proverbs, chapter 17, verse 15. It says, He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the just, both of them are alike an abomination to God. Chapter 29, verse 7. The righteous considers the cause of the poor, 
but the wicked does not understand such knowledge. The righteous considers the cause of the poor. But those who are, are wicked don't understand that. Let's move forward. Our desire to reflect him is also in our sanctification. Remember, it was with, in salvation, but we're already saved. But now, as I, as I know Christ, as I continue to grow him, it's also in my sanctification. And so we have a lot of verses here to, to look at. Psalm 1, you all know Psalm 1, right? Blessed are the what? Is the, is the man that walks not in the counsel of the hand of God, nor stands in the way of sinner, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And his law doth he meditate day and night, and he shall be like a tree that is planted by the rivers of water, that brings forth its fruit in its season, right? Whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he does shall prosper. We like that part. Does anybody know how that continues on in verse 4? Good, okay. The ungodly are not so. They're like the chaff, which the wind drives away. Keep going. Therefore, they will not stand in the where or in the congregation of the righteous. That's exactly right. Okay, God hates that. Okay, and God says, "Listen, the congregation of the righteous—that's supposedly us, those who are doing what righteousness." God says, "If you would walk in righteousness, what will you be? Blessed and prosperous." That's exactly. If you are walking in righteousness, you'll be righteous, but. Because of that, he will also bless you and cause you to be prosperous. Now, that doesn't mean prosperous materialistically, but prosperous spiritually, righteously. Okay, And so in Psalm 119, verse 1 and 2, remember I saw Psalm 119 a couple, of week, a couple of years ago, right? It says, Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are they that keep his testimonies and seek him, seek him with their whole heart. They also do no iniquity. They walk in his ways. God says he's going to bless those who are walking in his righteousness. Those who are seeking what is right according to his standards, God will bless them. Matthew 5 and 6, Jesus also starts talking about this blessing as well. Turn with me to the book of Matthew. In Matthew chapter 5, part of the Beatitudes, verse 6, it says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Why? For they shall be filled. Satisfied, filled, um, they they will be um, con- made content. Okay, what does that mean if you're going to be filled or satisfied? If you're hungering and thirsting for righteousness, you're going to be given it. You may not see it in the land, but you'll be given it in your life. Drop down to verse ten. There, it's not on the screen, but it's right there. Where is verse ten? Blessed are those who are persecuted for what righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You get it? So. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because they shall be filled. And blessed are you when you're persecuted for righteousness' sake because now you're going to see the kingdom of heaven. So what about you? What about me? Is there even a concern that we're going to be persecuted for righteousness' sake? Or does when persecution come, the threat of persecution come, does righteousness go out the back door? Matthew 6, I'm sorry, before we go on to Ezekiel, Matthew 6, 31 to 33, talks about you know, how the Gentiles seek after these things and worrying about what you're going to wear and worrying about what you're going to eat and worrying about where you're going to live. But Jesus says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will what? Be added to you. Do you know what he's saying? You'll be blessed. You'll be blessed. You, you'll be prosperous. I mean, that I, no, again, no, this is not prosperity theology here. But I'll take care of you if you put what is first first. 
So Marsha and I were at a homeschool meeting this week, and they asked the question coming through this panel that Marsha was on, and I was sitting in the back with, um, you know, what, what do you think is the key for the homeschooling? I'm trying to think how the wording was given. But anyways, you know, what's the core? What's the first thing that's most important in your homeschooling? And what she said, and, and later when they asked me for any comments that I had, I agree with on, is the character training. It's the character of God. It's leading them in righteousness before God. That there is not a biblical mandate for homeschooling. Okay? But there is a biblical mandate for parents to teach their children. Now, understand there's a difference there. I don't have to use the method of homeschooling. But I am responsible for my child growing up to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And if my child rides the back of a, a garbage truck but loves God, then I've succeeded. But if my God, or my God, if my child is a nuclear scientist but doesn't like God, hates God, despises God, doesn't love God, I failed as a parent. And it doesn't matter whether I was a homeschooler, a private schooler, a public schooler, a non-schooler, or whatever you want to call it, because I am responsible for that. Seek first the kingdom of God in his righteousness. And then these things will be added to you. And so what I shared with the people was, that was my priority. My priority has always been for my children to love God. Everything else is secondary. But I do believe that the other things are important. But I do believe that God also is blessed in that. With Jessica being, going to the National Spelling Bee and, and, and being a, a, a um, National Merit Scholar semifinalist and, and those kind of things. I think that God honored that. And, and, and showed that, now it doesn't say that for, that for others that, that he wasn't honoring them, I don't mean it that way, but that God reveals in that way that he will do what he says if you put him as the priority. But so many times we don't trust him in that. We worry about what we're going to eat, we worry about where we're going to live, we worry about what we're going to put on. And we put those things before we put God. I talked to somebody just yesterday who's doing that today. Putting putting the things of the world before the things, and they had the audacity to call me to tell me. <laughs> so you think I said, yeah, oh, that's good. Okay, man, you go, go put your things ahead before, before you put God ahead. No, I didn't. <laughs> Especially when I'm middle preparing the message on righteousness of God. Man, this is the wrong time to call me. And Well, I didn't, I didn't call to be yelled at. I know, I don't care. I'm not yelling at you. I'm just teaching you truth. You do what you want with it. You know, I mean, it's not me that's stepping on toes. God's word steps on toes, right? And so if I, people always say, aren't you worried about your authority being threatened? I said, man, I have no authority. If I'm preaching God's word, then it's God stepping on toes, not me. If I start preaching my own opinion, then it's me. But if all I'm doing is reading scripture and people don't like it, then they got problems. The book of Ezekiel, let's not turn your, these are long passages, you can look at it later. For the sake of time, what God basically says is that the righteous will be blessed for his righteousness the wicked will be judged for his wickedness. And so if a righteous man turns to wickedness, he will be judged as a wicked man. If a wicked man turns to his, turns, repents from his wickedness and turns to righteousness, he will be blessed for righteousness. And Israel says, that's not fair! <laughs> Isn't it amazing how things have not changed in thousands of years? That's not fair! That's not fair! How many times do you hear from kids? That's not fair! No, it's just. There's a difference between fairness and justice. Fairness is from your perspective. Justice is from God's perspective. 
perspective. And God says, I will not, which is really big news to the Israelites, I am not going to judge the son because of the wickedness of the father. Because if the son does righteousness, he will be blessed as righteous. But if the son of a righteous man chooses to do wickedness, he will be what? He will be judged as a wicked man. That's exactly right. So there is a reward. There's a reward for, for righteousness in our sanctification. And it is also then revealed. And this is where we have a lot of passages here we want to go to. Let's, you can read Psalm um, 112 later. But I want you to turn to the book of Proverbs again, if, you're, if you've turned away from that. Okay, And we're going to go through a couple chapters here. A couple chapters. I'm pretending I'm living in China right now. They want me to preach two or three hours at a time. Anyways. And since we don't have the covered dish dinner after this, and we're doing it tonight, I figured I have all the way to 4 o'clock, and we go to, we have the covered dish dinner at George's. And that, were you, that was your intent, right, George? By pushing it to 4 o'clock so that I would have four hours to preach. What's that? We're, we're practicing the American art of gluttony in between? No, sorry. All right, I'm, I'm messing with you. I'll be done in at least an hour. All right, so. All right, look at pr- chapter 10. Start, start at verse 3. The Lord will not allow the righteous soul to what? Famish. See that, George? God's promising that you're not going to famish. But he's going to feed you how? Man does not live by bread alone, but by the word of God. Anyways, you will not be famished, brother. Anyways, look at verse 6. Blessings are on the head of the righteous, but violence covers the mouth of the wicked. Verse 7. The memory of the righteous is blessed, but the name of the wicked will rot. Drop down to verse 11. The mouth of the righteous is a well of life, but violence covers the mouth of the wicked. Is this, any of this sounding like you, one side or the other? I mean, you've got two sides happening here. There's no, no fence. Notice, notice that there's not a fence here. There, there's no straddling here. It's one side or the other, right? There's righteous and what? Wicked. Righteous and wicked. We'll put in the word unrighteous, okay? Makes it easier for us. You're either righteous or unrighteous. Righteous or unrighteous. So which one of these is you so far, okay? So we're still here in Proverbs chapter 10. Proverbs 10, I want to make sure that I'm not skipping any as we come through here. Um, Verse 16, the labor of the righteous leads to what? To life. The wages of the wicked to do what? Sin. What does that mean? Well, what are you going to do with the money that you you get from it? Are you you doing it to, to invest in life or to to your own um, wickedness and destroying yourself. Verse 20, the tongue of the righteous is choice silver. The heart of the wicked is worth little. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for the lack of wisdom. Drop down to verse 24. The fear of the wicked will come upon him, and the desire of the righteous will be granted. When the whirlwind passes by, the wicked is no more, but the righteous has an everlasting foundation. Verse 28, the hope of the righteous will be gladness, but the expectation of the wicked will perish. Verse 30, the righteous will never be removed, but the wicked will not inhabit the earth. The mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom, but the perverse tongue will be cut out. The lips of the righteous knows what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked is perverse. And I go back to that whole, um, ah, see, I'm glad I keep forgetting the name of that stupid series. Um, What is it? Twilight series, and, and that movie that's out now, and, and that posting there with Devin, you know? The mouth of the righteous knows what is what? Acceptable. What's the righteous again? It's according that which is right according to the standards of God. 
And if you don't know what's right according to the standards of God, according to His Word, you're not going to know what's acceptable. And it's amazing to me what is acceptable to many people in Christendom. Because they don't know the righteous, or they don't care about the righteous standards of God. Now, I'm not preaching legalism. I'm not preaching judgmentalism. You've got to do it to your, within yourself between you and God. But God has standards for a reason. It wasn't just because he wanted to, to, to throw Israel through a bunch of um, hoops. Yeah, exactly right. Drop down to chapter 11, verse 3. The integrity of the upright or righteous will guide them, but the perversity of the unfaithful will destroy them. Chapter 11 as well, um, verses 4 through 10. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. The righteousness of the blameless will direct his way aright, but the wicked will fall by his own wickedness. The righteousness of the upright will deliver them, but the unfaithful will be caught in their lusts. When a wicked man dies, his expectation will perish, and the hope of the unjust perishes. The righteous is delivered from trouble and becomes the wicked instead. The hypocrite with his mouth destroys his neighbor, but through knowledge the righteous will be delivered. When it goes, when it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices. And when, wicked, when the wicked perish, there is what? Jubilation. Okay? Let, let's, let's drop down to chapter 12 here. Okay, there's so much more there in chapter 11. You've got 23, the desire of the righteous. 28, the righteous will flourish. 30, the fruit of the righteous. But drop down to chapter 12. Verse 3, a man is not established by wickedness, but the root of righteousness cannot be moved. Verse 5, the thoughts of the righteous are right, but the counsel of the wicked are deceitful. Verse 7, the wicked are overthrown and are no more, but the house of the righteous will stand. So on and so on and so forth. You, you've got these on there, okay? Chapter 12, chapter 13, chapter 15. I mean, there's just so much in the book of Proverbs, about the righteous. The righteous being blessed in the expectations of how righteousness is going to be revealed in your life. Righteousness is going to be revealed in how you make judgments and discernments, what you approve as good and not, what you understand that is right, and what you understand is not right, declares your righteousness. And again, those who are unrighteous hanging out with you, they don't understand it. And so they don't see it. And so you do what? You make each other what? Feel righteous and good. But it still doesn't make it right before God. But those who are in God's word, who are meditating upon it day and night, know the righteousness of God and his righteous standards. So, what do you think of the righteousness of God and his righteous standards? Honestly, what what do you think of them? Do you even think of them? And I don't mean it's rude. I just, do they apply to you today? Or are, are you absolved from his righteous standards because of the righteousness of Christ which has been imputed to you through salvation? You know, that's what Paul says to the, to the Roman believers in Romans chapter 5. So should I continue to sin that grace may abound? And he says what? God forbid. May it not be so. May, may it get a day. He says, no, no way. It shouldn't be. Because God's righteousness has been imputed to me. Therefore, he expects me to desire righteousness. Sadly, many believers do not believe that they have to seek God's righteousness. Even when Jesus' command was for what? Us to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Isn't it amazing? That wasn't a plea. That wasn't just a request. It wasn't just a desire. That was a command. That's a command. That was Christ's command to us. What about our nation? Are we truly a righteous nation? And again, it's easy for us to point the finger at the nation as a whole. But I am 
an American citizen. What am I doing within the confines as an American citizen? In fasting and in prayer, in repentance, seeking to have an effect upon this land? Or am I really wallowing in the, uh, <laughs> the unrighteousness? I, you know, I, I get to glean a little bit from the unrighteousness of the, of the, of the land. Where are you at with God?